All right, so this podcast was with Christian Vincenu. Christian, I hope I said your last name correctly. Uh, it was a great, 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 great podcast. Had a lot of fun chatting with, with Christian. Uh, we discussed mental health, the importance of mental health, especially in today's landscape. Uh, he also talked about how to build trust between parents and their children, which I think it's something that uh, everybody can benefit from. <laughs> we also discussed the importance of creating a safe emotional space while removing judgments and shame, especially in the uh, parent-child dynamic. We talked about his life growing up in France um, and so much more. So it was a great podcast. I learned a lot from speaking to Christian and uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, we're all set. Christian, I'll let you introduce yourself and and also your business as well and what you do. All right, well, hi, Michael. Hi, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be here. Good to see you and uh, excited to uh, do this with you. So appreciate the appreciate the invite. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, uh, let's see um, where to start. I guess professionally, the the short version is I'm a parent coach, and I work with parents who are stressed and anxious and who are wanting to uh, find some solutions either to some specific problems that they're experiencing with their kids. It could be behavior problems or kids being a picky eater or uh, not wanting to get ready in the morning for school or not wanting to do homework and, you know, those types of good things. And, and, uh, and also very much um, supporting parents in their ability to manage all their roles and, and, um, and having them, um, you know, supporting them in, in recognizing when something when something is not working and helping them recognize their options and, and looking at what, what else they can do to make things a little bit easier. So um, in a very, in a very summarized way, that's, that's what I do. Sure. Sure. And there's, there's so much that goes into the parent child relationship. And uh, I'm glad that you work with parents and, and kids, because I think a lot of people can learn a lot from your from your from your background uh so it's something i definitely love to to dig into as we as we go on but let's uh let's start from the beginning so where did you grow up and and in alba's life growing up you've done so much and obviously you had to start from somewhere so can you talk a little bit about your 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 background as a kid growing up yeah no i'd love to um so i i was born and raised in france in paris <clears throat> and a very long time ago and uh <laughs> i uh <laughs> and you know i think i think for me what i whenever i look back in terms of all the things that influenced my life trajectory and and whether personally or professionally a lot a lot of what happened was related to uh, I process my emotions, and um, and as a kid, I was I, I grew up as a as a shy kid. I grew up as an anxious kid, and I grew up with anxious parents. Uh, 
And, you know, as a kid, I was a little bit of a mess. I was, I think on the outside, it all looked good. Uh, I just looked like, like a reserved and shy kid, but overall somewhat, most of the time well-behaved. Uh, but on the inside, I was just, I was just a mess because I was really overwhelmed with everything that was going on with my emotions, with other people's emotions. And, and, and when you're a kid, you don't really know what emotions are to start with. Um, and my mom, my mom was, you know, both my parents were very loving and dedicated and, and present, but my, my mom was also very anxious and she, um, <clears throat> and her anxiety came out in different ways, but it's, it's, you know, it was a lot about um, don't do this, don't do that, you may get hurt, or oh, why are you sure you want to do this? What if it doesn't work? Or what if you regret it? What if, what if, what if? And and so it got me really good at at planning ahead of time and seeing all the possible pitfalls of something that I could get into. But of course the the drawback was that it made me very anxious about making mistakes and it made me doubt myself a lot and and so there was you know contributed to not feeling very confident for a long time and 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 my dad was um his anxiety came from a different place he was uh, in retrospect years later i understood that he was a highly sensitive person hsp and and he, he had a lot of sensory issues he um you know was very bright and successful and kind but he um <clears throat> He was very sensitive to sounds, to smells, to uh, unexpected changes, to um, <clears throat> crowds. And, and so everything that we did as a family was somewhat um, influenced and, and controlled by, by that. Because if, uh, you know, we would go somewhere and then it would get really windy and we'd say, oh, it just, it would completely, completely, um, frazzle him and and so we would have to leave and go somewhere else where he could enjoy the day where it was not windy or or if it was too crowded or if it was and and so playing as a kid i of course i didn't know that at the time but i was i started it, it started shaping a lot of my daily actions because i found myself very much walking on eggshells where where um well i can't be too loud because dad is going to get upset and and it's not that things got bad. Like there was no there was no physical abuse. So there was no bad. Uh, there was immediately a response from from my dad. It's hey hey you guys are being too too loud. You know keep it down. When it was in retrospect, it was not a lot of noise most likely. And and uh, so so that made me just um, what 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 happened is that it made me very aware hyper aware of how my actions impacted people around me and it made me really tune into into my parents uh emotional states and and well-being and and really uh, immediately i i or probably not immediately but i i i learned really quickly that what what i could do to to help my parents feel better and and stay happy and and so you know you fast forward many years a couple of decades decades and then what i realized is that oh when well, no wonder why i'm so good with people no wonder why i'm so good at helping people and helping you know for 
a good 30 years of my life when I worked as an occupational therapist, I worked with, with kids who had disabilities or who were neurodiverse and who uh, sometimes who were nonverbal, uh, you know, with autism or wh whatever the situation was or learning disabilities or, and, and, you know, often the kids I worked with could not tell me what was going on. They were in a constant state of fight or flight or emotional distress, but they could not, they would just act out what they were feeling and everybody was bothered by their behavior problems. But, and, and so really quickly, I would spend a little bit of time with the child and I would, and I would realize, oh, they need, you know, they need more calm or they need more quiet or they need, you know, they're bored, they need some activity or the pace is going too fast. That's why they're getting stressed out. And uh, so it helped me really tune into other people's um, emotional state. And, and so, that, so that was the plus side. And then on the downside, obviously, uh, it took me a while to figure out what my needs were because I had been so focused on my parents' needs that uh, it was all about, well, how can I make other people comfortable? So, so, um, so I got really, really good. I became an expert at making other people comfortable, but it took me a long time to, um, to really unpack how that that you know the, the the patterns that I had grown up impacted me and how you know and and even on a daily basis even you know it's kind of like with self-development you know there's the overused analogy of the of the peeling the onion layers but it's mm. it's very much what it is you know you think you figure it out and then what you figured out is one layer Mm. like wow i got this i'm so glad i figured this out okay i now i understand why i'm doing xyz okay now i'm going to work on making things better for myself and taking care of myself better and then a year later you realize well wait a minute i'm not doing this right there's another way that this has affected me and and you just you know you just keep at it and you know so so yeah so it took me a long time um long time to understand how how it had impacted me and 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 ways to understand me and pay attention to me and in order to um you know to not deplete myself and not burn out and that sure sure no thanks for that beautiful answer and i i love the fact that you talked about how your parents um behavior indirectly kind of shaped you and your emotions at least at that at that point and how uh, your dad's behavior made you feel and, and how your mom's, how the way she, how the way your mom treated you made you feel. Um, not that they were trying to treat you in a bad way, but clearly their behavior as your parents impacted you at that stage in your life. And this is, I'm not a parent myself, but this is something I've noticed with a lot of parents is a lot of times parents tend to forget how their behavior makes their kids feel whether it's their direct or indirect behavior. So what are, in your opinion, some of the ways that parents can be mindful about that? Because it really does make a big difference, especially when kids are at a certain age in their development. No, that's a great, it's a great question. It's a great topic. And it's, um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of what's brought me to doing the work that I'm doing now because uh, you know from a, when, when, when it comes to talking about my services and focusing on who I help the most 
I often struggle a little bit because I often struggle on, uh, well, am I helping more the kids? Am I helping more the parents? Mm-hmm. And it's really, the reason why I'm struggling is because, is because it's hard to separate one from the other. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and everything, that, everything that the parents do influence the child whether in a good way or in a bad way, or, but it's, you know, parents have a tremendous influence on their children, even if they're not in the mindset of, oh, right now I need to teach my child this or that, uh, just by being, whatever they're, they're doing in the moment is influencing their child. It's creating a definition of what the normal is for that, for that child. And, and uh, so, and then of course, conversely, the children influence their parents. You know everything that the children do influence the parents, and they and they're learning from that. And so, uh, so the two are really intricately intricately um, tied in this in this relationship. And and um, so what you know when I look at or some you know to backtrack just for a moment, my what's fueled a lot of my work is a couple of things, but the realization that. Even though my parents were so loving, uh, and there was no there was no abuse in 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 the house growing up, uh, it took me it took me decades to 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 kind of like unpack some of what had happened. And not that every child would respond the same way, but I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, but you know, I went through years of therapy, years of, of different. Uh, modalities to to really understand what what had happened and how to better understand my emotions how to manage my emotions how to take care of myself and and um so that led me to realizing that well if I, if, if this is happening in a in a family that was pretty pretty uh strong that was you know that had a fair amount of resources then then I know this is happening a lot with other families mm. and not always in the same way because everybody's, every family is unique, but right. uh, so, so how can I, how can I support parents in becoming a little more aware, a little more intentional about what they want or how they want to influence their child, mm. what they want to teach them, what they want. And, and, you know, often we focus on the final outcome Well, we want our child to be, to be confident so we're going to tell them hey you can do anything you want in life you can you can be confident you've got to be confident you've got to keep your head high and 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 so that's good that's a good start but what is really going to help the child be confident is it going to be sufficient you know is it you know what's what are the experiences what are the lessons that can be learned on a daily basis that are going to help the child become more confident so so there's a lot of um there's a tremendous amount of things that parents can do without paying additional money, without taking more time. It's just a matter of shifting a little bit what they're doing and becoming more intentional about what they want to achieve. And, and, um, and then in that process, what's beautiful, and that's, that's one of my favorite parts of my work, is how in the process of supporting their children and figuring out how to best support the children, parents realize, parents start understanding themselves even better. And parents start often healing themselves and putting pieces of themselves together that they had not figured out before. Mm. 
You know, I often have parents who, you know, things start with, with um, my, my child has a lot of behavior issues and we've tried X, Y, and Z and it's just not working. So we need some help. And then eventually after a while, the parents start realizing that, oh, I put, I put all those demands on my kids really because I feel anxious about not being a good enough parent. Well, where does that come from? Well, I realized that my mom was doing that to me when I was a kid, huh? So, so, so then, you know, parents start piecing things together and starts uh, <clears throat> realizing what, what they're bringing to the equation and what it is that they want to keep and what it is that they want to change. And, and, and again, it's different for, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a, a, a textbook of saying, well, you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to do, you need to do whatever is going to work for your family based on the unique culture of your family. And, and uh, <clears throat> so bring more intentionality and, and really becoming more aware of how, how parents can influence that relationship and can influence their child and um, by, by whatever they bring into it. Sure, sure. And, and that's, that's very, very well said. And that actually ties back into your, your background because I've spent a lot of time in Europe. And one thing I've noticed for a fact is how different Europe is in a lot of different ways from America culturally, obviously when it comes to cuisine and other things as well. So how would you say growing up in France uh, shaped you, affected you First of all, as a kid, and how do you think as an adult, have grown up in a different place, uh, played a role in your life, or in the, at least the way you think? Right, right. No, that's always it's always an interesting conversation to have. So, the the risk, of course, is to generalize too much, right, and and uh, or to to glorify one country over another, and and sure, uh, sure. so. Because there were, you know, there were many wonderful things growing up in France, and and you know, looking back, you know, people will say, "Well, do you miss France?" Oh yeah, I miss lots of things in France, but uh, there are also lots of things that are really problematic, and and so uh, just want to use that as a disclaimer because there's it's it's really you know easy to look at the the grass being greener on the other side, and and uh, absolutely, uh, but. You know, they were maybe just to make it more specific, but they were just, you know, to go over some certain some examples of, for example, there was um, my parents didn't get a television until I was 14 years old. Wow. And for a lot of Americans, even of my generation, that would just be really too bizarre. <laughs> and and right, right. you know it's 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 hard to find and, and I'm sure it exists, but it's hard to find it. And uh, you know, and, and television was not as widespread in Europe where I was growing up. Uh, but it was it was also my parent culture, and it was uh, there was more of an emphasis on just um, either being together and chit chatting without a specific topic. Or uh, my dad loved, loved, loved music. So he would play a lot of music uh, several nights a week. And, and 
So there was that going on. And of course, there was the expectation that while music was playing, you had to be quiet out of respect right. for music. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, so, so, you know, that, that made a difference because I think it's, it, you know, to this day, I don't own a television. I haven't had a television in 20 something years and, and I don't watch much TV shows, you know, very, very, very occasionally, and I'm, you know, an oddball that way, and and uh, but I own it, and and so I think on one, so that you know that that was a big difference, um, you know, eating, eating everything around food is a little different in in Europe and especially in France, I think, because they're, you know, they're they're taking food to uh to to an extreme, and it's uh <laughs> I um growing up I was a very picky eater very 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 picky eater and so i always joke about the reality of being a picky eater in france where at the time and pretty much still now if you went out no restaurant ever offered the kids friendly menu that was just <laughs> completely unheard concept and uh so you you know you ordered off the the regular menu and of course i had i had a really hard time finding anything that I liked and everything sounded disgusting and horrible and stressful. And, and so going out for me as, as a kid with my parents was, you know, that part was stressful because it was always, Oh, okay. There's going to be a lot of conversations about, about how that I'm picky and people are going to, you know, people with the, the, the waiters or waitresses would ask, well, what about this? What about that? Well, what about, you know, uh, and it would be like, Nope, Nope. Nope, nope, don't want it, don't want it. Oh, <laughs> I see, I see. And uh, so that was, you know, it was, it was, it was just part of what it was, and, and uh, I felt uh, definitely felt more comfortable when I was in the safety of home. And and uh, um, what are what are some other examples of things that were that were different? Um, you know, I. Some of it was a was a maybe a generational thing, but I um, you know parents I think were not as anxious as they are today. I think they still had plenty of reasons to be anxious, but right. the world was a little different, society was a little different, and and uh, so I grew up in Paris, and I think I'm trying to think how old I was when I started walking to school walking home by myself, but I want to say I was maybe eight or nine. Uh, and, you know, it was maybe a 15 minute walk in the middle of Paris. And and sometimes I think about it and I'm almost not embarrassed, but shocked at that thought because most people, most parents today would probably not let their eight year old walk in the right. middle of <laughs> New York city or, you know, a big city. And, and, uh, and it's just, you know, what it was and 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 uh so so i know that also shaped me in terms of it, it taught me fairly early on to to be on my own and to be and even though i got used very early on to to be in the streets of paris on my own uh sounds horrible it sounds like i was a uh, <laughs> roaming the streets of, but, but it was um it got me used to that. So in a sense, it was good, I think, for my confidence and for my independence. And and uh, I remember loving, loving just walking as I became a little older and, and my parents would let me just um, 
just you know take the long way home and and go for walks and and um i would just at times walk for hours in the city and um and it was you know so i think i think that i remember clearly just watching people a lot because i was still very shy not shy enough to stay home not scared enough to stay home on my own uh so i was very curious but also very aware of uh how do people behave and interact and do things and i was just fascinated when i saw people who seemed confident mm. who, who entered a shop or or you know confidently or or talked or requested something in the store confidently because i wasn't there yet you know i was and i'm talking i was maybe 10 11 12 and and uh but I, you know having that experience i know i know also shaped me in in uh giving me more time i think to just observe people without feeling the pressure of really doing doing a lot sure sure and then as so as things went on and as a teenager if you remember let's say when you were in high school age where was your mind state at this point were you already thinking about uh what direction you want to go into were you thinking about college were you uh, where were you like mentally at this point it's it fluctuated a bit you know i had several phases of things that i wanted to do when i grew up and, and uh, for a while I wanted to be a vet because I loved animals uh, and that kind of like went away for a while because I also realized I grew up with a lot of allergies, allergies just mm. about everything. So um, being around dogs and cats and horses was not really an option and, and so I thought, well, maybe a vet is not the best career yeah. choice for that, you know, and, and uh, so uh, <laughs> And so I went through different phases, but by the time I hit I hit the end of high school, I I was pretty set on going to um, having like a business type of major because my my both my my mom was an accountant, my dad was in always in business management, uh, and so I thought well, you know that those were the conversations I heard at home, and my parents were somewhat passionate about what they what they did and and so I thought well that just seems like a natural choice and lots of job options and and uh so I signed up for um uh you know college business major first year and then halfway halfway through the first year this is when the the reality started settling it mm -hmm. uh that's when it, or or it just it just hit me in the face and it was literally that day where a day where I realized it was about pretty much halfway through the first year of college where I realized that I was completely bored. And wow. I, was, I was bored with the classes. I was not connecting with the subject matter. I was not connecting with the professors. Uh, my grades were fine, but I was just, I, I had zero passion for it. And, and I wasn't really connecting with my classmates. Uh, and I came from high school where I had a I didn't have tons of friends, but I felt good about the friends that I had. Right. So it's not that I couldn't make friends, and and so so it just really hit me, and I and because I thought, well, wait a minute, this the notion, the the, the premise is that is that after high school I can do anything I want, mm. and after high school I should be doing, you know, maybe not every class would be a perfect match, but I should be working on things that are really a good match for me, and and. And I literally fast forwarded 20 years down the road and I thought, wow, I'm going to be, if I head down this path, 
I'm going to be 40 someday and I'll have a midlife crisis because I'll be hating my life. Wow. And, uh, and I thought, what am I going to do? What do I need to do? What do I want to do? And, um, and the simplest thought that popped into my mind was that I want to help people. And, and that's where, how things started. That was the first realization that, that took me back to, and I think, you know, pretty much it most likely was heavily influenced by, uh, how things started with me about my my awareness of my parents and what I needed to do to help them be comfortable or and I you know I I consider myself an empath today which of course I didn't know at the time and nobody talked about it at the time but um so the big discussion is that was that you know nurture or nature is that you know I'm an empath because uh of the surrounding I grew up with or or do you know as my nervous system also wired in such a way that I'm particularly sensitive to other people's emotions and 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 that's just that's the part of my brain that's hyper developed and, and sure, that's, sure, what I, sure. that's what I'm good at you know compared to other people would, would be something else you know and and uh, so so I decided I wanted to help people and you know this was pre-internet and so it was a little trickier to do research and uh but I I did the research I could and um Eventually, I I um, I decided on occupational therapy. So I uh, I took a sabbatical because I uh, it was too late to to sign up for for school for for occupational therapy school. And uh, but I I traveled a bit. I went spent a month in Thailand. Uh, I <clears throat> took more uh, language classes. I worked on a little more on my English, my Spanish. Um, took a Took a Brazilian Portuguese class. Uh, can't can't remember a word from it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good use of the time. <laughs> and uh, and then I started occupational therapy school, and it was it was the best decision I've made. Um, I I became an occupational therapist and and stayed stayed in the field for for a little bit over thirty years. So. Wow, that's beautiful. And I like I like the the fact that you uh, brought up. You know, being an empath and finding out that you're an empath, and also that you visited Thailand. So I have a, a, a question for you for for each of those points. The first is, a lot of people don't even know they're empaths, and a lot of times they surround themselves with the wrong people, and they start holding on to people's energies without even realizing it. You know, this the saying goes, you know, show me your 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 close circle, and I'll show you who you are. Something along those lines. So for a lot of people listening that might be empaths that don't realize it what would you say in your journey are some of the traits that you identified that an empath has you know it's a little bit different for everyone but a lot of it has to do with how much <clears throat> how much empath can be impacted by everybody else's emotions what's going on around them and also their own emotions and and uh, so in extreme cases, empaths may have a hard time determining at first if they're feeling uh, a certain way because of truly what's going on with themselves. So if it's, they're feeling this way because of the energy they're picking up around them. And so a lot of the work has to do with, with starting to, to find that out, to unpack this and really explore and become aware of, of 
to me, it was becoming aware of energy patterns, of my own energy patterns. So when when my energy dipped, or my energy was higher, or what you know would help me felt um, feel what contributed to feeling drained, or what contributed to feeling excited, or what's and how much quiet time I needed, or how much and and so and then. So that's you know a lot of the awareness phase, and it's not there's no workshop that can teach you that. I mean, there's there's yeah, the workshops can put you on a good path, but it's it's uh, you're going to need a multitude of workshops or whatever, or or right. you know courses or therapy coaching, whatever whatever the case is, and you know reading about it, and and um, so a lot of awareness and reflection, and 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 then the next part is looking at how how to manage yourself. You know, it took me a long time and it's still a work in progress. And I'm, I'm, by all measures, I'm doing well with it because it's also the field that I work in. So I'm constantly thinking about emotions and talking about emotions and reflecting about it. And, uh, but, you know, learning how to take care of ourselves is, is huge because we live in a society that does not prioritize mental health. So we're fortunately talking about it more and more, but in the process, we're realizing that mental health has been often stigmatized. It's been placed on the back burner. It's, you know, there's also a lot of the hustle mentality where just, you know, push through it, stay positive, be positive, and everything will be fine. And and there's no point in talking about being stressed because what's that going to do? You still need to do to get things done. Right. Uh, and so... So as an empath, I've you know a lot of my learning, in addition to the awareness work, was to just learning how to care for myself, learning how to set boundaries, learning that, um, yeah, at times I, you know, I I love being around people. Uh, on some level, I'm 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 definitely a bit of an extrovert, but I do get overloaded. So for me to be able to recognize that and that there was no you know, I went through a phase where there must be something wrong with me. You know, why am I, why am I so, you know, one day I want to be around a bunch of people and the next day I don't, or, or one evening I'm having this wonderful time. And then halfway through the evening, I'm just like, I start thinking about coming up with excuses to go home. Well, what, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I just be easygoing? Like, and, and so understanding that it was okay. My nervous system has reached its limits and it's okay. I had a wonderful time, but at some point I need to, I need to set a limit. I need to take care of myself. I need some quiet time or anything. Right. And uh, so, so, you know, limit settings, boundaries uh, has been a, you know, a very, very important one. I would say for a lot of people who see themselves as empaths, uh, learning how to set boundaries is huge and boundaries. You know, I, I work on that with my own clients, but it's sometimes it's boundaries with, with work, it's boundaries with your friends, it's boundaries with your spouse, it's boundaries with your children, it's boundaries with, uh, you know, a lot of parents are really depleted because they feel like they can never get off the hook, so to speak, you know, and, and, and you know, there are parents who said, you know, I can't even go to the bathroom because my kid is knocking on the door or my kid wants has anxiety and wants to be in the bathroom with me or or they're having a tantrum if I take too long or there. So, you know, working on those boundaries to have whatever time is needed, it's, you know, is, is a huge piece right. of managing it. That was a great answer. That was a beautiful answer. Um, and I, 
I I love oh, a lot of the points you're touching on. I, I love, um, and I love the the fact that you just touched on parents and parenting, and how sometimes parents can be frustrated. Um, so how do, from what you've seen just in life in general, what are, what are like one of the easy or not easy but efficient ways to balance life between being a parent? And also not losing your individuality, you know, because it's, and you also touched on mental health, which is something that I don't think that we take seriously enough. You know, we live in a society where we're, you're rewarded for working hard. You're rewarded for burning out, right? You take one, two, three weeks out of work. By the second week, you're feeling guilty, you know, for being gone. So uh, how would you say, uh, what what are some of the advice you give to parents where you feel like, you know, the imbalance is everything, right? But when you see people that aren't properly balanced, whether they're putting too much energy into the wrong things or the idea and, and the requirements of being a parent has just taken over their lives where they lost all uh, sense of who they are. So what is your what would you say to people that are in that situation? That's a, you know, it's a great topic, and it's a tough one. And there is no, the easy answer that there isn't an no, easy answer. Uh, because, you know, one, one, every parent is different, of course, and every family is different. And, and, you know, we all have a different tolerance for stress. So what could be really sending a, a parent over the edge uh, might be okay for another one. And, and so, so it comes... But like you, like like we've been talking about, you know, because there's there's a bit of the glorification of of working and working all the time and hustling and and being productive and and uh, there's parents experience a lot of shame and a lot of guilt with taking care of themselves mm. and 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 sometimes they're aware of it and sometimes they're not aware of it. So there's often a layer. Of, Really? Like subconscious guilt? Yeah, subconscious guilt, feeling like they don't have the right to um, to feel stressed. They don't have the right to want to have some time off or they don't have, All you know, right. that they really need to, um, you know, or as soon as they start feeling really burnt out uh, and maybe saying, oh my gosh, I wish I wish I didn't have my kids for a day. I wish, and then the guilt sets in, and then and then the 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 subliminal messages come in in terms of, well, you know, you should be grateful, you've got amazing kids, you should count your blessings, you should, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I guess you're right, and then boom, and there it goes, and you bury you bury the burnout, you bury the stress a little deeper, and, and feeling like you just don't have a right, or it just makes you a bad parent, um, so. You know, with every parent, every family, I start in a different place, but I start I start where they are. So I start, you know, with whatever concern they first have. So, you know, if I have, if I have, uh, I often have parents saying, I just, you know, I'm just snapping at my kid. I'm just snapping at my kid because uh, I get, you know, I'm done with work and I just have so much on my plate. I've been in go, go, go mode all day. And now I have to prep meals for the whole family. I have to, 
find time to exercise, which probably won't happen. I have to, you know, pay bills. I have to get groceries and I have to do all those things and, and do homework with my kid and, uh, and, or my child is not listening or is throwing something and breaks something. I just yell at them. Mm. And, and I know it's not destroying them, but I, I just, I don't want to be that kind of parent. Mm. And I've been trying to really control myself, but I just can't. So can you teach me a technique? So it's often where, where I start, um, because at that point, it's not about teaching a technique. It's starting to unpack, well, what's, you know, what's going on during that time? How are you feeling during that time? How, you know, recognizing the, the amount of stress they're under, how it's affecting them, how it's affecting them emotionally, how it's affecting them physically in the body, how it's affecting them looking at all, you know, the areas, kind of like taking a, <clears throat> an inventory of the different areas of their life. Because, you know, it's, it's always the, the idea that if someone asks you, well, how's, you know, how's your life working? What's the toughest question to answer? Because it's like, well, I don't know. It's pretty good. It's, it's, you know, but if you start breaking it down, okay, well, how's work going? How's, you know, has, um, <clears throat> you know, family going? How's, you know, friendships going? How relationships? How's finance going? How's, you know, your, your health going? And, and then you start being able to break it down. So I'll do a lot of that with parents. And they say, well, actually, okay, this is good. This is good. Yeah, no, this is a mess. This is, I'm really stressed because, yeah, I, I haven't done any kind of exercise workout routine in three years. And I'm just completely out of shape and I've been ignoring it, but, and I'm not sleeping well and it's getting worse. And I'm, and I'm snapping at my husband, wife, partner, I'm, I'm um, snapping at my kids. And so it becomes, you know, more a matter of starting to explore without, without, shame and without guilt and 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 very often the parents will share, start sharing about their stress level but making a lot of apologies saying yeah i'm sorry i know this is bad and i shouldn't be saying this i know i should be grateful i know and and so a lot of this is just starting to help them um to, really to create space for them to to see what's there and and without without you know feeling embarrassed about it guilty about it and 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 then from there you know for more creating more awareness and space for for accepting what is there then we can start looking at well, what's what's the priority what's you know is there a wiggle room is there is there um a lot of it is also based on values and beliefs you know we we often talk about how you know we we develop our sets of beliefs and values primarily from our upbringing, you know, whoever was around us, you know, whether it's, you know, parents, aunts, grandparents, whoever raised us, but we, we develop a set of beliefs and values of what's important, the way things should be, what's right, what's not right. And then, of course, we never consciously choose those sets of beliefs and values. Right. And then there's a, there's a point as an adult where what we have, we have another chance. We have another chance to, it's a little bit like going to a, you know, going to a, to a buffet. And because there are hundred foods available, you're not necessarily going to eat the hundred different foods. You're going to say, well, I don't really like this. Or, uh, oh, I know I need to eat more vegetables. So, okay, I'm going to have a little more of this or, and I'm going to have more of that. And so it's a little bit like that with beliefs and values, you know, as adults, we have, we have another chance to start reflecting on what's 
driving our decisions, what's driving our actions, and what's driving our our goals, our you know our ideals. And it's, oh, I really want to do this. Well, why is it important? You know, what's important about that? Or, you know, um, I'm really stressed because we never have we never have a family meal together. It's always you know everybody's eating except well, why why is that well because it's not the way we should eat so whenever there's a should you know typically it indicates something that we've internalized the concept of belief right. that we've internalized that tells us we're not even thinking about it it puts us an automatic pilot of this is the way things have to be and at times at times through you know taking the time to explore why why do I have to do this? Do I really have to do this? Is this really a should? Why is this a should? You know, mm. and yeah, I really, you know, because I grew up with family style meals and I really got so much out of it. I really want my kids to have that experience. Okay. But, and then looking back as, you know, another family may say, you know, it, it was kind of like a big deal growing up, but it was never a comfortable time because those family meals were just, it was tense. It was, it was, you know, and it was just not that great of an experience. So actually, I guess I can let go of that, you know? And, and mm -hmm. so, so it's just an example of, you know, when we focus too much on, you know, as a society, we're kind of conditioned to go for the quick fix, to find the quick solution. But when we focus too much on, on the quick fix or identifying a strategy that's going to reduce the stress, then we miss, we often miss the boat. Because what's driving all of this is our beliefs of what's right, what's not, our, our values, what's important, and our, um, our personalities, our energy levels, our, you know, our goals. And so we need to be able to compute all of that together and say, well, you know, do I really want to do this? Or what's, what's really missing right now? You know, or as a family, what's, what's the obstacle number one? What's, and so by doing this, doing this work, then parents get to a point where they start being able to to change the course of things and say okay i want to i want to work on this right you know, and, and and uh <clears throat> i had a family recently who um they had they were experiencing lots and lots of behavior issues with their son with their teenage son and so they were looking initially more as behavior strategies that could help eliminate that and then in the process they realized that um one big issue was that their child had a hard time um regulating their own emotions they didn't have a lot of awareness about their own emotions and 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 their 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 son was um just you know tended to be impulsive and like a lot of teenagers but and so we all realized together that the priority was not to just squash the behavior right away. I mean, that was that was a long-term goal, but it was really more, well, how can we help your son to become more aware of his emotions, what he needs, and how he's processing other people's emotions, what it means when mom says, I need a break because I, I just mm -hmm. I just can't do it anymore. And the kid, their kid won't won't let mom have a break. And and so it was, you know, it became more of a priority. And there was no way I could have known that before starting to work with them. You know, there was no way. So I could have had like a, like a, like a, you know, 
cookie cutter approach. I could have had this 12 week course where this is what you do, you know, step one, step two, and then you're in good shape. And, but that would have not worked because it, it was not about the behavior problem. It was about understanding, oh, this, this kid, this teenager needs to figure out how to handle, you know, his, his anger, his frustration, his disappointment, his needs for interaction. And, and how can we support him to do that on a daily basis? And so now that I've been working together for a few months, now, now things have gotten a lot better. A lot of behaviors have gone, have gone away and the parents' stress level is decreasing, but we've never come up, we've never really addressed the behavior in particular. It was more sure. about the underlying uh, driving force. So, so again, right. it's, you know, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer because it's-, no, yeah. it's um, no, I mean, that was that was a great way to explain and answer it actually. And even digging deeper into the parent- child relationship dynamic something we see often is when parents have kids they create a dictatorship based relationship which is you know when kids are young they don't have any say you know when it's time to go to bed it's time to go to bed when it's time for dinner it's time for dinner when it's time for breakfast it's time for breakfast when it's time to take a shower it's time to take a shower you know the kids don't have any say but i think one of the important mistakes that parents make is as the, the child grows up and becomes a teenager, they don't adjust the relationship style. They still uh, uphold the dictatorship relationship. Now realizing that as kids get older, especially when they're getting to the teenage phase, they start realizing, oh wait, I have autonomy. I, I can actually say no. I actually don't have to take a shower right now because I don't want to. I don't, I don't have to go to bed right now because I don't want to. The issue is when we keep uh, perpetuating the dictatorship relationship between us and our child, it creates resentment from the child's perspective and increases the amount of issues that, you know, as a parent, you start having with your teenage child. So I'm sure this is something that you see often uh, so when things like this happen, um, how do you uh, help parents kind of navigate that issue? You know, the issue of, you know, he doesn't listen to me anymore. She doesn't listen to me anymore. She doesn't want to spend time with me and or whatever, all the issues that parents have with their teenage kids. Um, how do you help them nav navigate it? And how would you say they need to be more aware of your behavior towards their kids and that's a great it's a great topic uh <clears throat> and, and and just before you start i want to say respect is a big thing too because i think a lot of times you know parents also us just as adults in general we forget that even though we're talking to a teenager or talking to a kid we need to show them the respect that we're looking to get out of uh of, of that relationship. So I think it's really important for parents to remember that, yes, you're 20, 30 years, 40 years older than your child, you still need to show them respect, especially if you want it back. Right. No, that's, that's, that's a great point. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's the way, the way you, you frame it, uh, you know, there's some, some parenting styles, um, where sometimes the, the relationship is more of a, what I call a one-way relationship. It's all about telling the child what to do and, and, and expecting them to, to do all those things, to meet all those expectations. So uh, 
my emphasis is always on on creating creating ways to nurture this two-way relationship and really looking at involving the child in in the process of making decisions and reflecting on what's working, what's not working, why they don't want to do it. And and I'm never one to because sometimes the the fear the fear of parents or educators is that um, oh so you want to be more permissive and let kids do anything they want and not you know meet expectations that I'm it's definitely never where I'm coming from. Uh, but if <clears throat> you know if we just expect the the child to to do as they told, my question is always, well, what are they learning in the process? And how is that preparing them for, for life? So it's preparing them to follow directions really well from other people when they really have to. Maybe under the threat of losing a privilege or, or you know, else. Uh, but how is that preparing them to, um, to really process all the pieces that are involved in navigating life and and you know all the things that because you know then you see you see a lot of young adults that are really lost they're you know they went to college because their parents pushed them to go to college and they got a decent decent grades and they so now they get you know they got the college degree and then they apply and to jobs and they get a first job and then you know a couple years within the first job they're like i hate my life well, now what do I do? And, and, <clears throat> and they don't have an answer because they've been used to just doing what they were told and following the rule and following the directions, but there hasn't been a lot of time spent on nurturing their, the part of their brain that has to decide, well, how do I want to do this? Do I want to do it this way or that way? Or what? What are the pros and cons? What are so? Sometimes it's not about, you know, if, if if a child needs to go to bed at a certain time, where well, they need to go to bed at a certain time, if they need to, you know, take a bath, they need to take a bath. We're not going to let them go without taking a bath for two weeks just because right. they don't want to. <laughs> like you know, and it's just like some things are non-negotiable, but it doesn't mean that there is no space for talking about it so the problem is often parents don't have the time to talk about it because they have so much on their plate that's like hey <laughs> things need to get done we need to get moving you know and, and especially if they're if it's a bigger family or maybe right. a single parent or or um that there is always room for discussing what what is going on you know to for reflecting on well i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to go to bed I wonder why you don't want to go to bed as opposed to no discussion. It's time to go to bed. I don't want to hear anything about it. Right. Well, why you don't want to go to bed? Well, because I want to read my book. Well, what kind of book are you reading? Why are you reading this book? What well, sounds like you really like your book? I love this book. I don't want to put it down. Okay. Well, <clears throat> and then having a discussion where it could be just about the pros and cons about, you know, what's going to happen. What's if you don't get enough sleep, right? Yeah, if you don't right. get enough sleep, and you know, you might not do well tomorrow, and 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 uh, just having that extra little conversation in that moment may, you know, may be sufficient to uh, to help the child say, okay, fine, I'll I'll go to bed. Right. You know? No, and, no, you're and, right about that, and that's 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 where the respect comes from that I was talking about earlier. Right. No, so absolutely, it's, 
And, you know, so I always, I'm always advocating for validating, validating the child, validating, even, you know, validating doesn't mean that you agree. Validating doesn't mean that you change your expectation or change your goal as a parent. Validating just said, you know, I hear you. I hear that you really don't want to do this. I hear that it's really stressful for you to put that book away. I, I really hear that you want to go see your friends and it's a school night and I'm not going to let you see your friends, but, and I, I, I can hear how angry you are. I know you hate me right now and, and I can hear that. I can really hear that, you know, and I can relate to it because when I was a kid, same thing happened to me. And, and so I can hear it. So just, this may seem like a, like an unnecessary step, like a waste of time, but what this does is that it helps the child to start processing their emotions a little bit. It gives them space to express their emotion. It gives them space to identify, you know, that moment where they're feeling, you know, it's like, well, what is that? Well, I'm mad. Okay, you're mad. You know, what, what are you mad about? Why are you mad? I'm mad because of X, Y, Z. Okay, you know, there's nothing wrong, wrong about you being mad. There's nothing wrong about you being envious of your sister because she's in a different grade and she gets to do more of this and you don't get to do it yet. And, and I hear you. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, there's nothing wrong about, so it's a lot, you know, the validation helps, helps kids to start building up their, their emotional awareness of, you know, their own emotions and understanding their own emotions is really what paves the road to, as a young adult or as an adult to be aware of your emotions and be aware and being able to self-manage and be able to say, okay, I feel like crap. I'm, 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 I'm stressed. I'm sad. I'm so angry. I'm so, you know, where is this coming from? What do I do with this? What, as opposed to not really knowing what's happening because you've sure. never, you've never had a chance to really express it. Right. Right. No, that's, that's, that's very accurate. And then you mentioned earlier that you spent a month in Thailand. And one thing that's, always prevalent is the fact that so many people underestimate the power of traveling. So when you were out in Thailand for about a month or so, thinking back, did you have any realizations when you were out there or even looking back, would you say that that experience shaped you in any way, shape or form? Oh, very much so. And I, uh, <clears throat> I'd love to talk about Thailand, but because um, it was a wonderful trip, but I, I would I would take it back to uh, the trip that I it was it was my my first main trip as a as a like on my own uh, as a teenager. I was sixteen and I went to uh, I went to southern Italy and Sicily for a month, and and I was going to go with a friend, and then things didn't pan out, and um, she uh, she was gonna contribute to the to the vacation because she had a car and I was going to contribute because I had worked for uh, a month and I had enough money to pay for hotels and food so uh <clears throat> so it didn't work out so I thought well so initially I was um I thought well I guess I can't go uh you know at 16 my parents went just crazy about me going to Italy, although it was just the country on the other side of the border but it, you know it was still a big deal at 16 and and so they weren't saying no, but they weren't really pushing me to do it. And and then uh, in I I did like a, a summer job, and and then one one 
guy who was also like a, he was a college student and he, uh, he worked in the same place that I was working and he, uh, he had traveled the world. He was in his mid twenties and I was you know, 16 and he was, um, he had traveled the world. He had gone to a bunch of different countries and often by himself. So when he heard that about my story, he said, well, why don't you go by yourself? And I'm like, well, I don't know. How would I do that? You know, again, this was way pre pre-internet. So it was a lot harder to research anything about anything. And, and he's like, well, here's how you do it. You go to a, you go to a bookstore and you go to the travel section and you start reading about anything about the country that, that you're thinking of going Italy and you start just reading. And then at some point you're going to see things that you like. Maybe you buy one book or, and, uh, and you start just, you know, researching places you want to go to, and then you just, you just go. And so that's what I did. And uh, so I was there for a whole month and, and it's really the trip, the first trip that opened my eyes to so much. And it's, and, uh, and I remember having all sorts of realizations, but it was a lot of, there was a lot of fear because um, I was still very, very shy, but what I think what, what, the the my saving grace was that I was also very curious and I was also very very um, part of me wanted to see the world and I wanted to see different things and and so although at times I was terrified there was just this driving force that pushed me that that mm-hmm. was always a little stronger than the than the shyness and and uh, and and then you know of course because it put me it put me in the driver's seat uh, there was no one that I could turn to to tell me, well, you should do this now, you should do that. No, don't do this. That's not a good idea. I just had to figure it out. So that gave me a good boost in confidence. And um, I remember coming back and realizing, having conversations with friends on how, the, the, with the realization of how sheltered I had been. Oh. And, and, and how, you know, because suddenly I just, I was exposed to people from, all different backgrounds, different walks of life, different ages, different cultures, different and and, and it was wonderful. And and uh, so so that was you know that definitely changed me and it kind of like got me thirsty for for exploring for learning about other cultures. Right. So it was like a spark for you. It was definitely a spark, and it was and it was so. On the personal level, it kind of like took me out of my shell, and it's and it says, okay, you can do this. Yeah, you're you're terrified, you're shy, but you can do this. This is this is actually fun, and sure. and uh, and then and then there was so much to look at, and it was so, you know so it was um yeah that was that was a big the big turning point for me. No, oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. I always feel like traveling is is very important, and uh, people really do. You've under- traveled a lot. Yeah, I try to. I try to, you know, um, you know, imagine someone that's been to three countries or four countries or five countries or more. There are a lot of people who've been to 30, 40, 50 countries. Now think of who they are and then remove all those experiences. There'll be somebody completely different. So, you know, it really does change you in a lot of ways, in a lot of positive ways. It helps you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, you touched on fear earlier. A, a lot of a lot of us have fear that we don't even realize is there, you know, so it promotes independence. It just shows you a lot about who you really are. Uh, in addition to experiencing different cultures and making you more worldly, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I always encourage people that uh, have the means to do so. I always tell them you, you have to travel, got to get out there. Um, 
but switching back to to your expertise and your business and what you do um there are a lot of parents who on the outside looking in are bad parents but they don't necessarily see themselves as bad parents um a lot of us you, you said something earlier that was very important you said a lot of times the way you parent is determined by how you were raised and this is very important because it can be a, a benefit and it could be detrimental so if you were raised in a really bad way you can grow up and say you know what i'm going to do my best to be an amazing parent and not raise my kids the way i was raised right it could go that way the, the other way is you're not aware you were raised in a bad way and you take all those um bad habits and abuse and you transfer it to your child right. so for parents out there that either know they're not a great parent or are not a great parent and they're listening to this and realizing that wait i'm not as good of a parent as i thought i was uh but still feel like they don't need to reach out to someone they can figure it out on by themselves what would you say are some of the dangers of that mentality and more importantly what would you say are some of the dangers of being a bad parent and the reason I, I ask that question is because when our kids are young, they're so loving and forgiving and, you know, we can hurt them in so many different ways and it just feels like they still love us. But what we also forget is a lot that, what we also forget a lot of the time is that we're raising future adults. And those kids are gonna become adults one day. And they're gonna remember the way they raise, you raise them. You know, and maybe they might, they might forgive you but a lot of them are going to have animosity and that animosity might also transfer to your grandkids or their you know their kids uh which is you know you're creating generational hurt uh so what is your what would you say to parents who feel like maybe i'm not the best parent but i can figure it out on my own because that comes with a lot of dangers um so can you just touch on that a little bit because i'm sure you see that sometimes yeah, it's a tough, I think it's a tough, it's a tough question. It's a, it's a really good one to explore, but it's tough because, you know, there's so many different scenarios and, and again, you know, there's a, there's a danger in overgeneralizing and, and, uh, uh, you know, my, my first point is that, I mean, yeah, there is bad parenting when there's, you know, there's certain things in my book that, you know, if anything that's abusive, to me is going to be definitely part of bad parenting and and uh but <clears throat> i'm also reluctant to to use the word bad parenting because um it can give a sense that there's there's this book out there there's this code out there on um, on being a good parent and if you deviate from that then you are a bad parent mm. and that's very um to me, I feel like that's very, um, it excludes a lot of people and it's very elitist and it's very, right, right. Um, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, as a, as a parent coach, there are times, there are times where I provide information specific, um, more, um, technical information, so to speak on, on child development because of my background. Uh, you know, parents say, well, what's, what's, is this better? Or is that better? Or, or, you know, I can say, well, you know, based on research or based, this is, you know, <clears throat> this is the better way of doing it. Um, 
But there are many times where my work focuses on helping the parents decide where they want to go and based on what they're unhappy with. So sometimes, you know, they have a lot of parents who start by saying, well, my child isn't doing enough or my child isn't doing X, Y, Z or my child needs to, you know, control themselves better. Okay. And then in that process, they realize that a lot of what their child does has to do with how they parent. So it's not about shaming them, but it's about for them to realize that, oh, okay, uh, so maybe I need to change something. And then let's see if I change something, then my child's response will be different. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, you know, and th there's infinite number of, of examples, but, you know, it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, what, you know, beliefs and values about what you think is right. And, and, and you know, I, I mean, I grew up with um, the mentality that if you're, when you're, when you're in work mode, if you're doing your homework, you can't have music playing in the background because that's, are you, are you just goofing off? Or are you just studying? You can't do both. Well, then as an occupational therapist, what I realized is that everybody's brain is wired a little differently and that's normal. Mm. And, and, and because everybody's brain is wired a little differently, there are people who actually, kids and adults, who function better with music in the background. They can actually focus better. Uh, so if you approach the situation of, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm having all these power struggles with my kid and he just can't focus on anything. Um, you know, they're, they're, they insist on having music on and I just keep turning it off and it's just, you know, one battle after another. And how do I, how do I convince them that they just need to be more self-disciplined? Well, then in the process, they may realize that, oh, wait a minute, why, why am I insisting on that? Well, because that's the way, that's the way you have to do it. When you study, you have, you have to focus, you have to, but what if, what if they were focusing better with music? Oh, never thought of that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so, so it could have, you know, could have to do with, with how the, the parent grew up or how, you know, the, the mindset that they grew up with. And, and, and so, um, so it's always for me important to, to help the parent realize what's, you know, what is really important for you? What is creating stress now? What is, what is it that you want that is not happening either with yourself or with your child? You know, do you feel like your child is failing in a way? Let's explore that. Why do you feel your child is failing? It's, you know, <clears throat> I'm working with a mom who right now has tremendous, tremendous anxiety of seeing her, her teenage son fail in school. And she's been, she's been spending hours every night after working a full-time job on helping her son do homework. And she knows that if she doesn't give that level of support, her child will fail. Mm. And, and of course, there's no parent who wants to see their child fail. So she's putting in all that work. But through our work, she's realizing that what's been happening is there are a lot, a lot of power struggles during the homework time. And the, the teenage son is just pushing back, is shutting down, is yelling, and mom is yelling, and it's just, it's really poisoning the, the relationship. And so what she's realizing is that she needs to let go a little bit 
of the amount of support. And she, she needs to let her child fail just in very small ways to help him realize that he needs to do something different. And he needs to pick up the slack. But right now he's not picking up the slack because mom has always picked up the slack for him. Hmm. And so, but often parents struggle because they feel like it's either or. They either have to give all that support and then if it's not working, they're gonna pull back and say, well, you figure it out. Then you'll see, you know, how oh, you can't do it on your own. Then you see it's not working. You know? and, and often the, the answer is, it's a very gradual process. So what this mom has started doing through our work is that she's, she's working on herself emotionally because she's having a lot, a lot of anxiety with thinking of her child failing. And he started to he started to get a couple of Bs and one time a C. And that's really, really, really hard for her. So I'm working with her and supporting her, helping her process those feelings and why that's so important and what's, and, and then, um, and then what's happening in the process is that her son is starting to show more initiative. He's starting to come to her and say, well, I need some help with this. I can't figure this out on my own, which she had never done before. He had never been able to ask for help. Because the help was provided to him before he could feel that he needed. You know, his his normal, his definition of normal was this this overwhelming amount of homework. Mom is going to make me do all of this. And then when he reached his his limit, his brain limit, he just pushed back. And then the, and then the power struggles would would take place. So now mom is recognizing. You know, and he pushes back. He'll say. I don't want to do this. I'm done. I'm not checking my work anymore. This is, she'd be like, okay, it sounds like you've reached your limit. Yes, I have. Okay. It sounds like you need a break. It sounds like we need to stop. Yes. Okay. And, um, and then the next day, you know, he'll get, he'll get a bad grade on it. So then they'll process instead of shaming him, or instead of saying, well, maybe you should have worked more on it. <laughs> it'll be like, well, what's, you know, where was the breakdown? What was, is there a part that you think you need to study more? What was the feedback from your teacher? Well, this is the part I don't understand. Okay, do you want to work on that one? Yes, I want to work on that one. So that's creating a lot of space for more awareness and it's, and it's, re, it's reduced the power struggles tremendously. So again, it's never a simple answer because, sure. uh, you know, this mom didn't feel like there was bad parenting and it was not so much why is it bad parenting is that it was very complex there were lots of pieces moving it was it was um but in realizing that in realizing what what was happening in me pointing out some of the dynamics that was happening where her child was relying on her mm. but at the same time he was not able to develop any independence she wanted him so badly to be more involved and to be more independent and you know take responsibility for his own right. learning she wanted that desperately for him but there was no space for him to do that so when she stepped back a little bit and we all you know talked a lot about how to step back just enough that he may he may there may be a natural consequence a bad consequence but not not anything that's going to really hurt him right right you know, because if it's too much, then, you know, it's too much. And, and, but a small consequence, like, like a B instead of an A or C and, and that started motivating him. So, well, 
what's going on? What what do I need to do? What and that opened the space for him to start thinking and to take more initiative about his learning. That uh, if I had if I had approached the mom by saying, "Oh, you're too involved. You need to let go," she would not have been able to 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 process that or to accept that. Hmm. Uh, so it was you know it was a lot of awareness on on her part trying to realize how you know talking about the impact of the power struggles. So going back to to her initial complaint about, well, I'm exhausted. You know, every single night I have to go to those power struggles. It's just, it's just what can I, what can my son learn to do things differently? Right. And it had to start with her to do things differently. No, I love, I really love your your insight into these topics. It it reminds me of a, a comment that someone I know made, and they made that comment. Oh, they, they came to that realization during a pandemic and she was telling me how prior to the pandemic, you know, everybody has a job, everybody has to work. She'd work, you know, her regular hours, go home. She gets home in the evening, spends a few hours with her kids, you know, and she's gone the next day. And she told me that she had a, a huge realization because of the pandemic, because, you know, her job work was closed. She couldn't, you know, her kids couldn't go to school. And she said to me, the pandemic made me realize that I didn't know my kids. Mm -hmm. And she said that for her, that was a very, very pivotal moment because she said to herself, how can I have kids that are almost teenagers? And I feel like I don't know them. This is the first time in my life I'm getting to spend this amount of time with them. So what would you say is and is this something that you've seen in your practice where what the kids need is just more attention um, and the parents not realizing it or even the importance that you know attention plays um in kids lives because as adults you know kids don't really complain much so when we're doing something that's impacting them they might not even say anything um, the kid might not even realize they're being impacted until they become adults. So um, how can parents be more aware um, of how their indirect behavior, whether it's not spending enough time, whether it's something we touched on earlier, which is the way you talk to your kids? Um, how, how, what do you have to say about that? How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, it's yeah, the topic of giving kids attention is is a is a huge one, and it's you know sometimes I think there's the first the concept needs to be defined because giving attention can be construed as something negative as say oh you know kids just want attention all the time, right. and and uh, but for me it's more about the quality of the attention. Mm. It's not so much, I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of time that's um, that's going to work better if, if you have zero time with your child because you're a single parent working more than one job and, and uh, obviously there's not a lot of time available. And, and But I think more important that the amount of time is the quality of the time. Is I, what I, happened. I just really want to jump in and just say I love that you just said that, that the quality of the time matters because I see a lot of people with the impression that, well, just being next to the kid while they're playing on the iPad or whatever is enough. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that because it's just times where as a parent, you need a time away from your kid. And the easiest way to, to get it is by throwing an app, iPad at them or giving them your phone, right? Uh, but I love that you mentioned quality. So I'll let you go ahead, but I just wanted to just point that out. That I, I love that you differentiated the difference between quality and quantity. It's not the same. No, thank you. Um... Yes, I would. I would rather focus on you know on the quality of time and and um, you know there's there's something that's I feel the one of the benefits of of being older is that I've seen I've seen things for a while. You know, I I I graduated in 80, 85, so it's given me given me a you know uh, I've seen several generations of parents and I've seen. Something's changed and something's never changed. And but what seems to to become harder as a as a society is to to have conversations. To have conversations and really being in the moment and not about any particular topic, but to have true conversations. And and uh <clears throat> And I think maybe because I, I grew up with that, I grew up with those conversations. Maybe I, I know that influenced me a lot and, and uh, influenced how I relate to people and the kind of interaction that I prefer to have. And, and that being able to have a time where you're, you know, where parents can be with their kids without, without necessarily doing anything else. And even just acknowledging how uncomfortable and awkward this is mm. if you're not used to it. Right. It's like, what do you mean? I can't be on my phone or yeah. nobody can't be <laughs> on their phone on their tablets. Well, can the television be on or can't, you know, right. <laughs> I'm okay at multitasking. No, it, you know, how does it feel to be, to be, I mean, I've worked on some parents if it was part of their goals, if it was part, I'm, I'm not one to say, oh, this is how it has to be and you have to kill your television and, and not be on your phone. And I would never make that recommendation because that may, you know, just not apply at all for that particular family. But, uh, you know, if it's if the, if the parent feels that the quality of interaction is not there and, you know, so it's, it's all about being more present in the moment, more mindful. And it's, and if you can only do it for five minutes, then, do it for five minutes, you know, and, and, uh, and, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big one on, um, on the power of modeling. And because often, often parents are, have been told that in order for their child to learn X, Y, Z, they have to be directly taught X, Y, Z. And they have to be told a certain way of doing it. When often, when it comes to social emotional stuff, understanding your emotions, understanding relationships, understanding how to manage your energy level, how to manage your frustration, how to make decisions, all that, all that stuff. Um, the absolute best way for kids to learn that is to just learn it from their parents. Mm. It's to just watch their parents and to listen to their parents, not as in a lesson, not as in a you know PowerPoint presentation, but as 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 you know, I'm always encouraging parents to, for example, if they're to go back to your earlier example of you know being on a phone on a tablet or or um, an example of a simple conversation would be 
would be for a parent to come home at some point and tell their kids, say, you know, um, I've had a rough day. I'm feeling really stressed. And just depending on the age of the child, packaged information so the child can process it. If it's a teenager, you can share a lot more. If it's a, a four-year-old or five-year-old, you can still share, but you've got to, you know, you've got to keep it short and keep it really simple. Uh, <clears throat> and you might say things like, yeah, you know, I'm a little stressed. Work was really, was really hard today. And uh, my head hurts a little bit, or, you know, I'm feeling tension in my body. And I think what I did now is I need to kind of like have some quiet time for it a little bit. Mm. So, um, so if, if tablets, you know, devices are part of the family uh, life, maybe that's a time where the parent says, you know, for the next X number of minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, uh, you can be on your tablet and I'm going to be on my tablet because it's going to help me just kind of like decompress. And, and, and then after that, I'd like to play with you or I'd like to just do something with you. I'd like to go outside with you and, and, and check things out. Or I'd like to, you know, play ball or whatever, whatever, you know, and, and, uh, but just spend just a moment verbalizing your thought process because what that's doing for the child is that it's helping them connect all those pieces. Oh, so sometimes we're stressed. And sometimes when we're stressed, we can get a headache and we can feel tension in our body. And it affects us in such a way that we don't want to talk to other people. And we need some quiet time. And we need, and, but it's, that's why mom or dad is on, a, on their tablet, on their phone, because they need some quiet time. But after that, there's, there's the plan. And, after, and so all of that, you know, it may take, less than one minute to say it but it's it's going to go a long way in helping the child process all that information as opposed to the parent feeling guilty about being on their phone but feeling completely depleted from their day and not really having energy to play with their child or right. kind of like trying to play but not being really present and being on their phone at the same time and the child is used to not really their parent being present and they're not being very present either. And it just, and the quality of the relationship starts dec decreasing. So whatever is happening, I'm always a big advocate of, of sharing your thought process with the child as, you know, as appropriate as it is for, sure. for the age and, and share your thought process. If you're stressed, share that you're stressed. If, you, if you're thinking about doing something because you're stressed, share what it is that you're doing, you know, and, and, um, if you, you know, I have a lot of parents complain that say, you know, I just can't get away from my child. They'll just talk nonstop. They'll just say, mommy, daddy, you know, do this, do this, and you know, and look and look at me and, you know, play with me. And, and so, and they feel <laughs> guilty of saying no. So, so they feel like, you know, they caught between the rock and the hard place because they feel guilty of saying no. Right. But then they they feel like they just but they feel resentful for for having mm. to do it. Mm. So it's like okay, we need to pull, we need to unpack that, we need to pull those apart, and we need to make space for both. Is, does every parent have the time to do that? Not always, but there's probably at some sometime during the week, sometime, even if it's for three minutes or five minutes, you can carve out a little bit of time. So at times I've worked with parents on 
learning how to set limits and learning how to teach setting limits with their child. You know, say, you know, um, I really want to play with you, but right now, um, you know, I have to prepare for dinner or I have to make a phone call. I have, and I have parents saying, I can't be on the phone because my kid will be just yelling and knocking on the door and, and bringing their toys or asking for my help for X, Y, Z. And, and so teaching, teaching child about boundaries, teaching child about, you know, recognizing some signs and saying, well, so I wonder what you could be doing during that time when I'm busy. Sure. This is the expectation, but this is, and carving and not having, not feeling guilty as a parent to carve out that time. And, and I've had, I've had parents at times um, start by using a timer because it makes it very concrete with, with kids. You know, you'd show the time with the kid and say, okay, we're gonna start, we're gonna kind of play a game. We're gonna start for like one minute. I'll ask the parents, what do you think? What do you think they can handle? One minute? Oh no, they can, they can do at least five minutes. Okay, five minutes, all right. So let's start with five minutes to make sure they're successful, to make sure that they feel like, oh yeah, I got this. I can be quiet for five minutes. I don't need mom and dad for, for five minutes, I, I'm good. So <clears throat> set the timer for five minutes. And I say, okay, I'm going to be working on X, Y, Z while you're playing. And, and then the timer goes off and you make sure you honor your word. It's a little bit of a contract. And, and you tell your kid, hey, this really helped. I really appreciate because I needed that time to do something. And then you give me that time. I really appreciate it. That's really helpful. And then you can start building up and the five minutes eventually you know, weeks later or months later becomes a half hour or an hour, you know, again, depending on the age of the child, depending on the needs of the parents, but um, it's, it's, uh, that can, that can be a good way to, um, to start working on it. And I completely forgot the initial question. That you no, no, you actually, you actually answered it, actually. Um, you answered it beautifully. Um, and you said something earlier that stood out to me, which is in college, you started noticing that you were losing interest in academics, right? And then you realize that, you know, what you want to do is help people. Now, a lot of people, or at least I always try to talk about the importance of finding your purpose and not only finding your purpose, finding your why vehicle. So, you know, finding your purpose is your why, right? And then we get to the point a lot of times where we find out what our why is, but we have no idea how we're going to do it, which is our why vehicle. Now for you, your why was, I am here because I wanna help people. You realize that at a certain point. How did you get to finding your why vehicle, which in your case was occupational therapy? Because there's so many different ways that you could have went with that, with helping others and making a difference. How did you find your why? And I'm asking because a lot of people, um, sorry, not your why, your why vehicle. A lot of people, it's not easy for them to, to get to their purpose or their why, but they finally get there. And now they realize, wait, I'm only halfway there because I still have to find out how I'm going to achieve this. So for you, how did you kind of find your why vehicle, which is occupational therapy? Um, <clears throat> there was a little bit of exploration for, for, I would say probably a couple of months. So okay. not, not that long in retrospect, but you know, so the first realization was I, I want to help people. And I thought, well, uh, somehow it just took me pretty quickly to some kind of health-related profession. Uh, I was not really drawn to becoming a, a physician, so I eliminated that. Um, 
And then it was, I wasn't sure exactly what was out there. I mean, I had heard of, um, I had a, had a friend who was, she was two years older than me. And so she, uh, by the time it was, um, uh, I was finishing high school, started college. She was, she started uh, physical therapy school and, and she would share a lot of what she was learning and she was very passionate about it. And, and so that kind of like put the bug in my, in my mind of, oh, that sounds, that sounds actually cool the way she does it. But, um, somehow I wasn't really drawn to becoming a physical therapist. There was something else that I wanted to do. And, and, uh, so it just basically got me to the point of, okay, there might be something there, but I don't have enough information. I don't know what's out there. And, um, so I told my parents a little bit about it. They, um, they got me this book. I remember it was something, I don't remember the exact title, but it was about something like 700 jobs. And it was, uh, it was kind of like organized by categories of, you know, whether you wanted to work with animals, with people, with business, or with, you know, and, and uh, so different chapters. And uh, so it kind of like became my first uh, exploratory tool and, and uh, so occupational therapy was actually mentioned, but it was like a fairly yeah. small entry. It was not very developed in France. It had existed for a while, but it was just not very developed. And uh, and somehow I just it just caught my attention because occupational therapy was this combination of um, looking at the body and the mind. And it was one of the few professions to where the, the training, especially at the time, was pretty much split down the middle uh, with, with, you know, physical uh, type of information on the body, you know, physiology, kinesiology, neurology, and then the, on the mind, you know, a lot of psychology classes, uh, human development, child development, and, and all those sorts of things. And, and so uh, somehow that really drew me because I, I, was, I was drawn to that, to the to the mental psychological part of it, I think more than, than the other piece. And, and so I decided to do more research about it. So one thing led to another, and then one aunt uh, said, you know, I think we had this very distant cousin that I met once 20 years ago. I think she's an occupational therapist and I think she's worked somewhere in a suburb of Paris and we can try to find out you know her information and maybe you can talk to her so actually happened one thing led to another uh i went to visit that woman that really my parents didn't even know and uh and and i shadowed her in her work she worked in the hospital um i shadowed her for most of the day and through you know watching her work with her patients at the time and and, and by the end of the day i was so I thought, yeah, I want to become an occupational therapist. How do I do it? And uh, so, uh, and then what I also did is I, um, just to make sure, and it was probably the result of family members encouraging me, but um, I, I found a place to do a bit like a, like an internship uh, why I, uh, I volunteered, but it was a, it was a hospital and they were, Two occupational therapists who were working with with kids with with various disabilities, and I, uh, so I went there several times a week, three four times a week for a few months, and just really got to understand what they were doing, why they were doing it, um, and got to participate in some of the 
treatment sessions, helping them. And, and so that just reinforced that, okay, this is what I want to do. And then I found a school, uh, I applied, got in, and that was, that was my, my vehicle. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then where are you looking to take your business? Where, where do you see, what, what is your vision right now for, for the amazing, um, life and parent coaching work that you do i want i want to keep doing more you know because i know i know whatever i do is just a drop in the bucket but i i i definitely want to continue to do whatever i can to uh to raise awareness about mental health uh to destigmatize um mental health issues uh and I want to I want to continue to support parents and kids uh, and supporting parents by removing some of the guilt, removing some of the shame, but giving them tools and giving them uh, ways to to enjoy parenting a little more and to decrease the amount of stress and anxiety they're 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 experiencing and also helping them, you know, giving them tools to resolve some of the the challenges that they're experiencing with kids and where they may feel like, oh, I guess that's just normal. That's just part of being a parent. But some of it doesn't have to be normal. It doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to always be that hard. And and so if you have if you have someone in your corner who can guide you, uh, that's you know, some of those pitfalls can be prevented and it can be a little bit, you know, a little bit easier. And and uh, so uh so I definitely want to continue that. Um I've always loved the one-on-one format of sessions. Uh, you know, when I used to work as an occupational therapist, I started out by exclusively working with with kids. So the model was you work with kids for a whole hour, and then at the end, for a few minutes, you share with the parents how their kid did, and then see you next week. And uh, and then after a while, I realized that it's just really messed up. I mean, this just you know. I'm doing all those things during the session. The parents have really no idea what's happening. They were often like great, great, great moments happening. And I could only tell the parents about it, but they couldn't see it. And, and, and then a lot of the parents' questions and struggles were, well, how, how do I replicate that? So I heard that my kid did exceptionally well with you in the session, but how do, that, how do I do that at home? And I can't do it. And, uh, and I thought, they need to be involved in the session. So, uh, so I started doing that and it was very unusual when I started, it still is. And, and um, so I no longer work as an occupational therapist, but whenever I talk with, with parents, other uh, therapists, it's not, it's not commonly done. And I often had parents say, wait a minute, you want me to be in the session? Like it's, it's okay with you? Because every time I tried to do that with another provider, they told me I couldn't. It was against policies. Like, why would I want to hide anything from, from you if it's going to help you learn and, and help you and your child? And, and so, so I started shifting my model and I started including the parents and I started, uh, you know, I would give them, for example, pointers at, at the beginning of the session. I said, okay, this is what I want you to look for. I want you to look, how, to look for how, how I speak to your child or how, you know, the things I don't say. I want, I, you're going to notice that at times, you'd be ready to say something or to intervene. And I'm going to stay really quiet. Mm. And you're probably going to think, why is Christian not saying anything? Why is Christian not doing anything right now? 
he needs to do something. As I say, I want you to really make note of that. And then we can talk about it afterwards, or it may become obvious later on. And uh, so I would kind of give them a roadmap of what to look for and, and really involve them more in the learning process of what worked, what didn't work, why it worked. Uh, you know, the, the signs to pay attention to. And so they really, it really became more of a partnership as opposed to me being the expert and telling them what to do. Yeah. And, and, and then also in that process, I realized how, um, how often the, the, those therapy sessions were going great, but the family was falling apart and nobody was talking about it. Wow. Because again, there was there was shame and there was there was embarrassment about for the parents to acknowledge that this is just too hard. But oh, well, what can we do? You know, and and so you know, I would see therapists just doing a good job, but never asking the parents. So how how is this therapy program working for the whole family? Mm. What do you mean the whole family? This is for my kids, not for the family. Yeah, but. You're having to drive a lot. You're having to put a lot of money into this. You're having to, you know, what's going on with the siblings? What's going on? And and uh, so then, you know, I started. I started. You know, I kept shifting my my model because uh, the parents needed more help. So I started including the siblings in my sessions at the time wow. uh, because the siblings didn't know what to do with their little brother or sister who was autistic or who was ADHD or who's been like, they're a pain in the neck. Oh, I don't know what to do with them. They always, yeah. you know, take my drawings or they take my toys or they take and, and I don't know how to play with them. And, and okay, well, let's all play together. Then we'll all learn to play together. And then, and then, you know, it became, it created a space for everybody to ask questions, to learn about each other and to, and, and, um, and then, you know, I just continued to realize how much the parents were were struggling, and there was often the norm is that there was very little support for the parents. It was very child centered, and 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 nobody was really taking care of the parents. And and then I started realizing that everything that I started realizing that you know, although for the longest time I was working with with the special needs community, that uh, neurotypical parents. Who didn't have a child with a, with a disability was was struggling. Was still struggling, and that a lot of what I had learned over the years in terms of child development, how to engage kids, how to solve behavior problems, how to, you know, deal with frustration, all that good stuff, that completely applied 100% with neurotypical kids. And if anything, it was easier. You know, when I, when I had to solve when I had to solve a complex problem with the child with autism. Uh, the same problem with with a neurotypical child can be solved much faster and much more easily, and and because it's it's, it's just you know it's, it's a, um, the 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 challenges are are different and you uh, know so so for me you know where so I I digressed a lot but I uh, the the you know to, to continue in that direction with the with the individual sessions to support the parents. Um, but there's a, a piece that I um, I love and that I haven't that I want to expand is is providing group services hmm. uh, because there are, there are times you know for different reasons there's at times individual session is this very private intimate space where anything can be discussed and sometimes people will not feel comfortable discussing that kind of issues in a, in a group setting. 
that the group has, a, has an advantage that individual sessions don't have is that you get, you get the interaction from everybody, you get feedback from everyone and you, get, and you can really learn from each other. And what a parent says might very well help another parent. And it might be a more powerful statement than something I might say. Uh, so, uh, so I love group work, uh, but it's, so that's one thing that I want to grow. So it's, it's, I'm probably going to start offering, um, workshops just, just, just to try, just to see what's, what's happening, uh, through, through LinkedIn and, um, uh, one-time workshop. And then, and then in the, you know, in the future, what I, what I see would be, um, uh, group coaching. So maybe for a six weeks or a 12 week period, there would be a certain theme and then parents would um, would be part of that process and meet uh, you know once a week with the same group of parents and we could discuss whether it would be you know how to reduce power struggles or how to you know set boundaries with your kids so you have a little more time for yourself when you sure, when you come sure. home when, when you need time or or whatever the, the topic would be. Uh, and then I, you know, I love to, I love to do public speaking. So most of my public speaking experience has been to groups of parents and then some conferences, mental health conferences, or, you know, um, uh, on different topics, usually for parents, sometimes for educators. And, but often, you know, parent groups, parent support groups, and, and I always enjoy that tremendously. So I want, I want to, I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to, you know, I'm always looking for opportunities to be on podcasts. And, and so I, I joined LinkedIn fairly recently, about four months ago, I think, four or five months ago. And, and I've become pretty active on the platform. Uh, but it's, um, you know, that's one thing where I'm, I'm starting to uh, come across opportunities to, uh, like like with you to speak on a podcast and I, I really like that because I think it's a good way to uh, spread the message and to um, you know raise the awareness about what can be done and and help people reflect on where they are in their life and sure. if they're if that's if they're satisfied with that or there's something else that they that they want and just you know encourage people to talk about mental health and to talk about yeah. those, un those uncomfortable emotions that everybody's trying to push sure. aside sure no and I, I love the fact that you just mentioned that you're going to start doing workshops and, and group classes because i think that's very very instrumental um, and that leads me to my final three questions the last question i have for you is how can people reach you so i love the fact that you're now doing the workshops in case they want to inquire um, that's going to be a, the last question the first question I have is earlier we talked about how a lot of times parents neglect themselves unknowingly because they have kids, life happens, they're busy, which sometimes creates resentment for their for their children, right? So my question, my question to you is for a parent listening right now that says, that's exactly who I am, that's me, that's how I feel right now. What is one thing? they can start doing for themselves that in return is going to make them be a better parent that's 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 the first question the second question is actually similar for a teenager that happens to just listen to this podcast and says i have an amazing parent i want to be a better child for my parent because i love my mom i love my dad 
the second question I have for you is what as a teenager, as a teenager, what can a teenager do? One thing that's going to help them become a better child. That's the second question. Um, again, so back, back to the first question and you can, you know, the floor is yours. What can a parent start doing today for themselves that's going to help them be a better parent? <clears throat> it's a beautiful question and it's, and it's, um, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's an easy one, uh, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough when parents are juggling a lot. Sure. And it seems to never be enough time. But the the mindset is that I'm always going to be encouraging the parents to to put themselves in the picture if they're if they're not yet, and to really to really look at what is not being addressed in in for for themselves, and to you know questions that I often ask in those types of situations is is whatever you're doing now is this sustainable long term mm. is this sustainable for six months for a year for five years for 10 years and then often that's when parents say oh wow maybe for a year but definitely not any longer than that you know for of not sleeping enough of not exercising of not uh having any downtime of not uh or putting maybe at times career goals on, on, on hold or, and so really putting, encouraging them to put themselves on the map to determine if it's, you know, what they're doing that's sustainable or not. And yeah. then looking, you know, it has to start with, with the vision or with the goal. So if the, if the main problem is sometimes it's very simple, so to speak, where, you know, parents will say, well, I just need a little bit of time. I don't need a lot of time. And I had this mom the other day said, I need 30 minutes of time per day of quiet without my child. But she's like, the problem is if I wait too long, then in the evening we do the homework. And by the time, you know, all this is done, I need to go to sleep and I, I don't have downtime. And, and uh, so looking at ways to, to, you know, becoming really clear at what's the first priority, what's the biggest thing that would make the difference and um you know and always encourage parents to work in increments because we we have the tendency to want to again find the quick fix find the big solution that's going to solve all the problems and most of the time it's not realistic so uh looking at how can we chip at the rock you know how can we just remove a little bit of the stress mm. it may not be a lot but if we can find something that removes, you know, a tiny, tiny bit of the stress, then that's going to give you a little more brain power, a little more energy, a little more resilience, you know. And, and uh, so whether it's, you know, and then once once you once parents have identified the goal number one, you know, for some it's it's I want to get back to exercising on a regular basis because I know I do better, my mood is better, my my you know my body needs it. Physically, I need it, and and uh, I just need to find that time. But I don't think there's the time. Okay, so then we tackle that as the number one priority, and then and then we look for we look for the wiggle room. And there's always my experience has always been wiggle room, and it's and it's but often the what happens is that I'm sure you've experienced this, but when you're in the middle of a situation, 
you know, we don't have as much perspective. We don't have as much clarity. Right, right. And so sometimes when you're out of it. Exactly, exactly. You know, so so sometimes my role is to to help to help the parents uh you know gain some clarity on where where they can find some wiggle room that's going to work for them, not like not that. for me, you know, like not that. for the rest of and and uh uh, and then how are we going to make that happen? Yeah, well, I could do this, but if I take time from this, then I can't do my kids' homework. Like, you know, well, what about, you know, and, and uh, but then there's usually a time where they start, they start figuring things down and they start saying, well, I can, I think maybe I can do this. I can do that differently on that day. I can do this. And, and little by little, they find that wiggle room and then, but it takes the focus. It takes the acknowledgement of the problem. It takes the willingness to, to explore it, it takes, you know, me helping them removing the shame and 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 giving them permission to explore. And it's you know, it's a lot of those different pieces. And and but really, you know, becoming clear about the problem, becoming clear about what's what's sustainable or not, what needs to change, and then focusing on a tiny, tiny change at a time. Sure, sure. Um, and and um. And then, you know, for, for teenagers, that's what's tough is that teenagers don't always know, you know, they don't always have the awareness of, of what's, you know, how their actions impact parents. Mm. So I'm sometimes, you know, reluctant to just address that from the teenager's standpoint, because if they don't know, how can they change? So sometimes the first step is to is for parents to start communicating more clearly with with their teenager in terms of you know um, when you when you slam the doors and you yell because <clears throat> we didn't get your favorite snack or we didn't get your favorite food or you know this didn't happen. Um, or the Wi-Fi went down, uh, you know, it doesn't help us. It creates a lot of stress and it doesn't make us want to like help you and solve the problem. So I hear that you were frustrating, but I want to work on a better way to, to express that frustration because I want to help you. But when you yell at me, the last thing I want to do is to help you. And it's just, you know, we'll end up getting stressed and we'll yell at each other and we'll, you know, it's just not, not going anywhere. And, and uh, so, so often it has to start from, from the, the parents um, that, you know, there are times, again, depending on, you know, the age of the teenager, depending, you know, they're 13 or they're 20 or they're, uh, that can, you know, can make a big difference, but it's, right. it's also um, encouraging them to, to communicate, even if they're not sure how to communicate, even if they just to really focus on well, what, what is it that you feel is not working for you? And it doesn't mean that your parents are necessarily going to change that, but it's got to start with, with defining the problem. You know, if you feel like you're not, you know, you know, you, you get angry and you know, you know, you don't have enough of what you want, or, you know, or you feel like maybe you don't have enough independence, enough freedom. Uh, the first thing is to clearly talk about it. But you know, it can be it can be a big burden to place on the teenager if they haven't never been if they've never been encouraged to do that. Right. Absolutely. You know? And and but 
you know, encouraging him to um, to speak up and to and to you know clearly define well, what what is it that's what is it that they want? Do they want more independence? Do they want more? Uh, <clears throat> you know, why do they, do they feel that um, not being able to go out with their friends on a weeknight is a problem? And right. they just start there. And and, sure. and no communication is very important. And I love that that was your answer to that second question because communication is very important. And like I mentioned earlier, I think sometimes as parents. Um, it's really easy to forget that communication needs to be at the forefront of your relationship. And, you know, kids aren't just um, things that we own, even though we do everything for them, put a roof over their head to feed them, you know, we're, we're the only reason that they are able to survive. So it's, it's, it's because of that, it's, it's easy to forget that this person has their own autonomy and we still need to communicate with them and show them respect. So I love that that was your answer. Um, and then the final question was, uh, how can the people find you, find your website um, and your business? So the, the website is lifeguidecoaching.org. Can you please just spell that out for just to make yeah, sure? So life, L-I-F-E guide, G-U-I-D-E, and then coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G. I think I've passed the <laughs> spelling test, so lifeguidecoaching.org. And so that's my website. Um, there's a way to email me, um, text me through the website. Um, and <clears throat> I always offer a, um, a free chat discovery session with parents who might just be interested in picking my brain about something or wanting to know more information or share about the situation, see if it would be a good fit. And and then um, for people who are on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, I post content on a daily basis or five times a week, Monday through Friday. And um, so there's um, there's quite a bit of activity there. There's quite a bit of back and forth commenting with people. And uh, often the uh, what I've appreciated with LinkedIn is that there's been a lot of great, great perspectives and experiences shared by parents. Uh, on a on a topic that I post about, and so sometimes the value isn't so much in what I post, but in people's responses, and people are really learning from each other, and so that's right. been exciting. And but so if someone is on LinkedIn, they can always contact me, DM me uh, through LinkedIn, and, and uh, that's another way. And my um, number and email are also on LinkedIn, so it's easy to right. find me there. That's beautiful. And again, just to just to make it clear. Christian did say that he offers uh, free discovery sessions, which means if you're apprehensive, if you're not sure, if you want to work with him, uh, it costs you nothing to, to speak to him and find out if he'd be a good fit for you. So again, Christian, thank you so much for, for stopping by uh, and blessing us with your presence. Uh, we definitely need to do this more often because there's so much wisdom and value in your experiences and in, in, in just this conversation. So uh, thank you again for, for, for coming on. I appreciate it. No, thank you, Michael. This has, been, this has been my pleasure to do this and, and uh, really appreciate your, your contributions to the community by yeah, you know, bringing on people to the podcast and, and you know, spreading, spreading the message. And so 
appreciate yeah, that so yeah, this is just the beginning yeah. thank you again christian and uh we'll definitely be seeing you soon this is gonna not gonna be the first time so all right awesome. you have a lot of information so um until next time guys thanks for listening and uh we'll see you guys soon all right thank you michael have a good one